You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to the Historical Yarns Podcast, the show where we talk about knitting from the past and bring it into the present. Welcome to episode one. I'm Heather Boyd with my co-host, Rachel Roden, and today we'll be talking about the history of fabric and fabric making techniques. Heather and I are super interested in the history of knitting, of course. That's why we've created this podcast. But knitting is really just like one aspect of fabric making. And there are so many different ways to make fabric, different techniques, different machines even out there that that make fabric for you. And we decided we wanted to start this off by talking about kind of the overall history of fabric and fabric making. So we're going to go like way back to the beginning here. <laughs> As you can probably imagine, making fabric started with people just wanting to be warm, right? Yeah, I mean, what's yeah. the first thing that you reach for when you feel cold? Right. Your clothes, yeah, right? Totally. Especially in like Europe and Russia yeah. and like those northern hemisphere yeah. areas. Oh my gosh, they probably... Layers, be, layers, yeah. layers, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so looking back at the origins of fabric, it all started about the Stone Age, which is over 100,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel can give you a better time frame probably as an archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> but that's basically all you need to know. It was a really long time yeah, ago. Stone Age, for and, sure. and people didn't have a lot of technology back then. They had very few tools. Um, so the way that they made their first fabric was just by taking some wet fibers and mashing them together and probably stomping on them and rolling them around until they became one cohesive mat mm -hmm. of fabric. And like everything else, I mean, I would imagine they probably came upon that by accident. I know. You, Rachel? I, I, I was just having like this mental image of like somebody finding like a tuft of wool that was stuck to a, you know, a, a tree or something. And then they just accidentally got it wet and then it they matted it and like, oh, what? Yeah. This is useful. <laughs> See, I was thinking maybe they let their, their sheep or whatever animal that they had go in the water and then tried to dry them oh. off or rub them too hard and their, their oh, like fibers matted right, right on, on the animal. Yeah, yeah. Cause I've totally seen that in like yeah. pictures of sheep that have yet to be yeah, shorn. Yeah. They have like big old mats down where they've rubbed yeah. on the ground and stuff. So maybe they saw that and they were like, huh, how can we put this to good use? Yeah. I bet you're right. I bet they did. I bet it happened in lots of different ways because there is a lot of evidence that it happened in multiple places all around the world, anywhere that, you know, they needed to be warm and they needed fabric or, and you know what, they probably were doing things with the fabric other than making clothes too, because it's just a useful material to have for mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. um, reason maybe they wanted to carry things around you know yeah. mm -hmm. um, have a blanket to sit on yeah exactly so lots and lots of reasons it happened or it developed in a lot of different regions simultaneously from what evidence that we have anyway mm -hmm. so and that's another clue that it probably arose from some sort of human common sense right yeah like, it's not like people disseminated information about how they did this felting. They just kind of came upon it mm -hmm. uh, by themselves. Yep. So one thing that's interesting about felting, though, is it's still done basically the same way. You get fabric fibers wet and you mush them together and you mm -hmm. rub them or you apply heat until they fuse and it makes a pretty sturdy fabric. I yeah. mean, 
I know that uh, people make shoes from felted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fabric. I made a pair of felted slippers. You quite sure a few did. Years back. For yeah. your dad, right? Uh, well, yeah, I did them for my dad and my brothers and my husband, and I also made Ooh. a pair for me too. Now so you knit those, right? Did you? I knit, knit those? them first, and then okay. and then felted them. Yeah. yeah, but it's the same idea, though. You know, you you can take a wad of of fiber and felt it or you can knit it or crochet it first right, and, then, right. and then felt it. So. I once met a lady who had blue ribbons from all the Vermont state competitions for mm. her felting art. Oh, and she would take a big beautiful. mat um, mm. and she would make these tapestries almost with just tiny bits of felted fabric mm. um, with the combination of just rubbing it with her hands and doing mm. using small Needles, like the needles like to needle felt. felting. Yeah, because you can mm-hmm. get like really precise application using mm-hmm. the needles. Um, I haven't done too much of it. Like, I think as far as I've gone is like making little balls out of it. You can string it onto garland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are really yeah, cute. Actually, it's, cute. Yeah, it's super cute. But so that's cute. that's as far as I've gone. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, felting's where it all began, mm-hmm. and we've come a long way since then. But we've kept kept felting as a pretty useful technique that's yep. still used for functionality and mm-hmm. for artistic purposes. So. Yeah, not so much for clothing these days, it seems yeah. like, but definitely for like decorative purposes. So. Although some hats and things are made from very yeah, thin true. felt and yeah, stuff. That's but true. You're yeah. right. It's not the most comfortable fabric to wear. It's a little stiff. A <laughs> little, little scratchy yeah. sometimes. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's neat. Yeah, but they were they were figuring things out, you know. People will always find a, a newer and a better way to do things. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though the next development in fabric making is weaving. And they, of course, had to figure out how to make the fiber first. So they're spinning it. I didn't really look too much into the history of spinning, but that it all happened sort of around the same time where they figure out how to spin fiber into yarn. And then they use that to weave and Mm -hmm. and make fabric on a loom. And of course, spinning is just the technique of taking individual fibers and making them into one long string. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was doing archaeology, we would find um, spindle whorls every once in a while, which is like the little I think it's like. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's like the weight on the, the spindle that uh-huh. would help it spin properly to yeah. to make it into the, yeah, the yarn. Yeah, to make the yarn mm-hmm. actually hang down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. What really were they cool. made of? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. This has been quite a few years now. It was when I worked in Peru that I found a bunch of them, and I can't remember now. I think they were... Probably shell? A shell. I was yeah. going to say something that yeah. could be carved or like yeah. modified in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah, it was super neat. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So weaving is the next development in technology. And it seems like it started pretty simple on a loom. Like you can kind of make anything out of a loom because you're really just passing the threads underneath each other to make and make the warp and the weft where they're going over and under each other. Um, the warp is like the lengthwise and then the weft is going under and over the lengthwise mm-hmm. threads. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that. Like you, there's very, very complicated looms obviously these days, but in the beginning, like it was really just, you know, having a way to have a long length and then going under and over those threads to make your, your fabric. So it, it was, could be very, very basic and, that's how they made their their first fabric and turned it into clothing. Probably so. just a basic square frame yeah. with movable parts, like very basic movable mm-hmm. parts. Yeah, you can even do it just on a frame too. Like if you're doing it by oh, hand, right. you can just string across a frame and then 
um, go under and over those threads by hand to create the actual fabric. Kind of like, like a, a pot, pot holder loom. Oh, do you remember yes. doing those when you were little? I do. Yeah. With like those stretchy elastic yeah. things. It yeah. was just a square. Yeah. And it you was went, just a square. you know, you did all the uh, strings going in one mm-hmm. direction and then took a hook, I guess, and pulled them through yep. the other direction. Yeah. So. Yeah. I totally did that. That was yeah. like. Yep, the craft of the 90s, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or 80s even. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. You're aging us, Rachel. I know, sorry. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, so that would be how the the looms developed there. But of course, it's come a long way since then. And it's still, I think it's probably still like the main way of making mm-hmm. fabric these days. Yeah. most fabric is woven and... It's just so versatile. Yeah. Like you can use a loom with almost any type of fiber Mm -hmm. to make a whole different type of fabric. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from fine to coarse, right? And then you can Mm -hmm. even take that fabric and cut it and make clothes from it. Mm -hmm. So it really is probably the most versatile thing that we have and capable of being automated, right? So anything that's capable of becoming faster and easier for humans is the thing that's going to stick. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of a dream of mine because I do a little bit of weaving. I have like a small floor loom and my dream is to like create fabric on my loom and then cut that fabric up and sew it into a garment. (laughs) One of these days I'm going to go start to finish. I'm going to make my own fabric. I'm going to cut out the the pieces and sew it into something that I can actually wear that won't like fall apart on my body. It'll it'll happen. It will. Yeah. And then we'll make another podcast out of yeah, it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'll just sit there recording you. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, yeah you'll <laughs> be doing like, oh well she messed it nope, up again. So she's, she's gonna recut that piece or <laughs> she's weaving. She's still weaving. <laughs> still weaving. Yeah. Uh, these crafts they are they're not the um quickest things <laughs> especially when you're doing them by hand. So that's okay. Though. it's a labor of love yeah and it's about the the reward at the end mm-hmm. right I mean to have something that you made yourself from scratch yeah. I mean I, I know a lot of knitters who have that dream of the sheep to shawl yeah. experience where they like get raw wool and mm-hmm. they cart it and they spin it and they make their own yarn and then they knit a shawl from it mm-hmm. but I know very few who've actually done it I can't name a single person I think, that, I, I, think I, that I know I think only one really <laughs> I only met one person but I don't think yeah. her shawl was finished and yeah. she's like 70 years old yeah so you know I know <laughs> it's I, time consuming it is. But it's just that feeling of achievement, you know, mm-hmm. to make your own clothing is really, really cool. So yep. anyway, so yeah, getting back to the weaving. Um, so, you know, there's lots of different fibers out there. And of course, the origins were using uh, natural fibers. So just things that they could find and turn into fabric. I mean, they would turn anything into a fiber that could be woven mm-hmm. back, you know, anything that was easily found. So um, in Egypt, we had a lot of linen, flax, plant fibers, palm, things like that. China, of course, everybody knows that's where silk comes from. Japan, hemp and bark fibers. Bark fibers. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Do you know? Well, I recently was at the San Diego Zoo mm-hmm. and they had an exhibit about in different indigenous cultures, like not just in Japan. I'm not sure exactly how they do it there, but mm-hmm. some trees, you can peel away the tough outer bark and there's oh. a thin layer of bark underneath that is actually almost as flexible as fabric already. And so oh. in several different aboriginal cultures, they've found evidence of this tree bark, inner bark that was taken out and made more flexible by washing and beating it. And Mm -hmm. then it was painted or decorated in another way and used as fabric. So I'm guessing it's it's something similar to that. And anything that you can 
beat or manipulate or wash until it's soft and flexible, mm-hmm. you can weave with. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. In addition, we've got cotton coming from the Philippines and then wool is, of, of course, that's like the, the fiber that we know and love. And that came much later, about 3000 BC, and it was developed in Europe and England. I imagine that's because sheep are um, native to that na- area. Yeah, native to that yeah. area. That's mm-hmm. what I would imagine. So, yeah, and yeah. probably it took a little longer to develop the technology to work with those fibers. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, because that, I feel like that's a little bit more involved than just taking plant fibers and. And starting to work with it. Yeah. 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 Um, because with sheep, I mean, you have to grow it. Yeah. You have to cultivate a certain type of fiber that can be woven. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to shear it properly. Yeah. And get the right fibers, you know, the finest ones, mm-hmm. card them out and then make uh, set up to into, spin. Yeah. yeah. Spin it into yarn. Yeah, and a lot then, of work. Yeah. <laughs> when you start talking about, about it, it's so much work. <laughs> yeah. 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 But to imagine that they did it, you know, on a cyclical basis, I mean, the sheep have to be shorn every year. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so yeah, probably the reason it came later was because technology had to catch up to it. Yep. Yep. That totally makes sense. One thing I found when we were looking into this stuff is the Silk Road really helped connect these different regions and share both information and the actual products themselves too. Mm -hmm. So these things, uh, these different, the ways to spin these different fibers and then weave these different fibers develop differently in different regions around the world. And um, when the Far East and the Middle East, you know, finally got connected, this information started going back and forth and products going back and forth. And you really see that explosion of different types of fabric and different types of weaving and more intricate stuff happening when, mm-hmm. when these different places get connected and mm-hmm. the information starts getting shared. So crossover. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. So anyway, yeah. So we're going to go into the actual like development of knitting, but first we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back to episode one of the historical yarns podcast. And so far, we've been talking about the history of fabric making and specifically weaving. And now we're going to move on to handcrafts, which includes knitting, crocheting, tatting, all kinds of different techniques that people developed by region and over time to, to make, make fabric yeah, by to hand. make fabric like in their homes and not mm-hmm. need any big equipment, mm-hmm. really. So... So it looks like from our research, the very first type of handicraft using a needle was a very special one called Nala binding that the very earliest examples have dated back to 6500 BC. And they've been found in Israel, Denmark, Egypt and Peru, but also in the Nordic countries. And it produces a fabric that's very similar to knitting. Mm -hmm. In fact, at first glance, People thought it was knitting yeah. until they began to kind of de- deconstruct it and see that it was, instead of being made from one long segment of yarn, it was made from very short segments of yarn that are looped in a similar way to knitting and then spliced, which yeah. means the ends are just joined invisibly or nearly invisibly. Yeah. I thought that that was so interesting when I was reading about that, that like they... Or kind of sad even that they had these really old um, like socks, I think it was from uh-huh. Egypt uh-huh. that they thought for the longest time were the oldest examples of knitting. And then somebody looked at it a little closer and they're like, oh, wait, nope. 
That's Taking that knitting. back. <laughs> so <laughs> we're knitting. <laughs> Not knitting. as old as we thought. <laughs> so knot binding was actually done with one needle instead of two, mm-hmm. which is remarkable when you think about it, that someone could take just one needle and make the sort of loop on loop fabric that looks so similar to knitting Uh, but the way that they did it was as i stated before just taking short sections of yarn and looping them under and over each other around each other and then splicing the ends like the loops were actually pulled all the way through Mm -hmm. so the needle looks almost like a very big flat sewing needle with a hole in the opposite end of the point and you can actually Google it and see YouTube videos of people practicing it today. So they're still, still keeping it. the tradition alive mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> by I've heard continuing that to practice it. It's so interesting because it sounds like it looks a lot like knitting. The finished product does, but the technique is actually a little bit more like sewing because mm-hmm. of the way you're looping it around and mm-hmm. you've got your, you're actually threaded onto the eye of a needle and then pull it through. Mm-hmm. So uh, really interesting. Makes me want to learn yet another craft. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Although, I don't know, all those ends. I mean, you uh, know, I hate ends. I know, even in ends is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Although, splicing is not so bad. Yeah, so, if that's you have true. a little like cup of water there and you mm-hmm. splice them together. What, you're not going to spit splice it? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not, not that many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd run out of spit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, it seems as though Nala binding is the precursor to. The um, crafts that are a little bit more prevalent these days, like knitting and crochet and even like tatting and um, some of the other handmade fabric techniques. So let's talk about knitting because that's what we're really here that, you know, our passion for knitting is what really brought us in here. So like I said, the earliest examples of knitting come from 11th century Egypt and they had thought that there were some earlier ones, but it turns out they were Nala binding instead. So the earliest examples that they are for sure 100% are knitting are from 11th century Egypt. And i believe that they are socks which totally makes sense because knitting makes such a nice stretchy fabric Mm -hmm. and when you want something to fit tightly like a sock it's really the perfect fabric for it and not have holes right i mean you want kind of a dense fabric yeah because you're walking on it essentially right so (laughs) (laughs) holes would get to be pretty uncomfortable yeah yeah so the old english word Oh, gosh. Sanatin? You want to take a stab at that one? Sure. (laughs) Knitten. Knitten? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, I shouldn't be allowed to try to pronounce things. I'm not not good at it. Who really speaks old English these days? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Somebody does. Somebody does. They're going to tell us if they do. Oh, I know. Right. We'll get a call. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they'll tell us we also pronounced it wrong. Yeah. Speaking of pronouncing things, we don't really know how to pronounce Nala binding. We just saw lots of different ways to do it and we decided to go with Nala binding because that seemed to make the most mm-hmm. sense to us. So. Yeah, well, since no one else can agree, I yeah. figured we could pick the one we wanted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the old English word knitten means to knot and that's basically what you're doing in knitting is using one needle to hold a bunch of loops and then another needle to manipulate those loops and bring new loops up through them, almost like you would with a knot but not tying it off. And so you have these this mesh type fabric of loops hanging on loops that you can manipulate in a bunch of different ways. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super portable. It's, you know, you can carry it around with you while you're tending your sheep or whatever it is that you're doing day to day. So That's I what think, shepherds used to do. Yeah. They used to sit out there knitting. Yeah, I saw this great picture or like illustration of a shepherd sitting out there watching his sheep and knitting along. I think that's... It's great. you got to fill your time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, knitting will certainly do that. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's very versatile. You can make lots of different types of fabric, thick, warm, thin, light, whatever kind of garment you need to make. You can use knitting to make that the, the perfect fabric for that. Yeah. And it's it's pretty remarkable that you don't really need a lot of equipment. You just need to change your needle size according to your yarn size and you can make all these variations just by changing those two little things. Mm-hmm. So I came across some archaeological information when we were trying to figure out when the earliest known samples of this stuff are, have been found. And of course, like I said, Egypt is the earliest. And then it did make its way over into Europe. And it seems as though it was Muslim knitters that were employed by the Spanish royal families and they were the ones who brought knitting into Europe and it spread from there. So they know this because they found um, goods in tombs of these Spanish royal families. And um, they figured out that the connection is from these Muslim knitters that were employed to make the garments and other items for, for them. So I thought that was kind of a neat connection. That's how it spread into Europe. Yeah. That's not what most people would assume, I feel. Yeah. Like they probably think that it actually started in England or yeah. at least somewhere in Britain mm-hmm. where they have all the sheep, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's become such an important tradition in a lot of the um, English and Scottish cultures, you know. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it actually began in Egypt and came in from, from that direction is interesting. And I'm sure they were making stuff out of different fibers than wool too they probably brought their cottons and whatever else they were using in Egypt with them Mm -hmm. so yeah so the other we do know that it spread from there because they've found evidence of it all over Europe both actual pieces but you know textiles degrade really badly over time so they don't have a lot of physical examples but what they do have are like tax lists basically that show that the goods were spreading across Europe so I thought that was really neat it's unfortunate that textiles don't hold up very well Mm -hmm. over time especially in like a really wet place yeah. like uh, Europe is. Mm-hmm. But at least they do have these tax lists that show that things were, that they were spreading across. And um, it looks like it was kind of in everyday use by about the 14th century. So, okay. yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Knitting. It's yeah. taking over the world. It is. Or at least Europe anyway. <laughs> well, even though you can probably tell we're a little biased towards knitting. Yeah. And we do apologize for that. Um, it is going to be the focus of our next episodes of this podcast. But we do want to go over some of the other handcrafts that mm-hmm. sort of sprung from Nala binding. Mm-hmm. And one of the more common ones is crochet, which like Nala binding uses a single instrument. It's a hook, not a needle. Yeah, it was called like a shepherd's hook in the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I thought, was, I mean, it looks like a shepherd's hook. So yeah. it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That does make sense. Yep. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of evidence about the actual origins of crochet, where it started, who invented it. In fact, the very first thing that they have that mentions crochet is a 19th century pattern for a purse, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it probably developed way before that. And we just don't have anything written down or yeah. like you're saying, actual articles of crocheted clothing or yeah, textiles. Yeah, I, I saw the image of the purse because it was like an illustrated pattern and 
Um, it actually looks fairly complicated. So, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't start with the most complicated thing they could possibly make. They had to have developed it. Yeah. Before I mean, that. doesn't everybody start with a dishcloth? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like the wonkiest dishcloth ever. <laughs> yeah. Totally so we're knitting, right? Where you're like garter stitch scarf <laughs> becomes like. <laughs> yeah. It is probably too short because you were so tired of garter stitch by the end of it that like. <laughs> It's more of like a like a little necktie rather yeah. than a scarf. And also probably skinny at one end and fat at the other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, know, I know mine was. Yeah, uh, and the first thing I ever crocheted was definitely like the most uneven washcloth you've ever mm -hmm. seen in your life. It like it wobbles. Yeah, it just definitely wobble. <laughs> I bet your mom has that somewhere. Actually, I think I have it. Oh, do you? It, it became a cleaning cloth. I think yeah. my mom has mine. Oh, does my she? first crocheted <laughs> one. Yeah, because I taught her to crochet oh. after that, which is like you know it's. Just a single stitch is not too complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a very single crochet, right? Mm -hmm. And so she started making dishcloths from that. So yeah, funny. Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, crochet has definitely evolved into another type of art form. I mm -hmm. mean, and it's just like knitting. You can use different size hooks down to the needle-sized ones that are so tiny that they draw blood if you pricked yourself with them. Yeah, I saw uh, like Irish crochet, I yeah. guess, is really interesting because it actually looks a lot like the kind of lace that you can make with yeah. um, tatting or popping lace yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It's so intricate, really beautiful, and it's it's crocheted, technically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads us into one of the next techniques we did a little bit of research on, tatting. Um, lace making, it's it's done with a shuttle. And I actually have never tried it before, so I can't really describe exactly how to do it. Maybe you know a little bit mm -hmm. better than me. But My um, aunt, oh, oh, well, yeah? my late aunt, uh -huh. um, great aunt, she mm -hmm. used to do it. And oh, it was okay. one of those things. It was her thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you, everybody has everybody a grandma has one, who has yeah. always got her knitting with her, right? Uh -huh. Like, that's this is my, my great aunt Lina. She always had her tatting shuttle. Mm -hmm. And it really did look like a little... Just a tiny little shuttle. I mean, just as long as your thumb, probably. Mm -hmm. And a little spool of thread fits inside it. Mm -hmm. And then the thread comes out through a pointed end. And that's not the only type of tatting shuttle. There's also a long one that looks almost like a tube. Oh, okay. That you thread the thread through and do in the same way. But you work with one length of thread. And basically what she would do is make these loops and then go back around the loop. Almost like you would crochet into a ring. Mm -hmm. Right. But you're using the shuttle and passing the shuttle back and forth mm -hmm. inside the ring. And then you can make loops on top of that and loops mm -hmm. on top of that. So when you tighten it all up, you've got these bound loops oh, cool. with more bound loops coming off of them that make the sort of characteristic circular designs in oh, tatting. Yeah. So it's all based off of loops and then coating those loops in more okay. more thread. And it is like super skinny thread, like sewing thread. So right? skinny. Yeah, yeah, it's like sewing so thread. it's really, really fine work mm -hmm. that you're doing with that. And it's even hard to find anymore. Oh, like yeah. it's one of those that it doesn't get practiced a lot. And mm -hmm. so if you're looking to do tatting, you're going to have to do some some actual research on mm. how to find the materials. Yeah, so. yeah. But it does make a really beautiful product. And I think mm -hmm. they, they would do that a lot on edges, right? Yeah. Of, of doilies. Or, yeah, doilies. Yeah, doilies. Yeah, Antimacassars. You know, like mm -hmm. back in the day when men wore hair gel everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to cover the furniture so they yeah. wouldn't ruin it. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the whole purpose behind yeah. those. Yeah. So anyway, that type of thing. The home crafts that you see is sort of adornment. Yeah, because tatting is not something you'd want to make a whole garment out of. It is yeah. so time consuming. Mm -hmm. And also it's it's mostly holes. Yeah. It's more holes than fabric, right? Yeah. So 
it's best for edgings and mm-hmm. things like that. So. I imagine it wouldn't be too comfortable to wear it either. So no, yeah. the, the finished product is kind of ropey, yeah, right? Like, yeah, because it's it's been pa- it's the loop that's been passed over again and again and again with all mm-hmm. these other loops of yarn. So it wouldn't be something you'd probably want to wear, mm-hmm. but it looks gorgeous on a I doily, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I bet in the like shabby chic revival, there's some you could do some really beautiful stuff that would look like updated and modern, but mm-hmm. still really pretty. Mm-hmm. Okay, yet another craft I gotta learn how to do. Awesome. <laughs> Edits my list. I do have some tatting shuttles. Oh my gosh. And thread. <laughs> I have never mastered go. it myself. I, I have sort of clumsy fingers for very small. Mm. Uh for very small Me too. Like fine crafts. Okay, maybe you know. I learn. <laughs> but you know, over the years of, of knitting and even doing lace knitting, I uh-huh. feel like maybe I've improved some. So uh-huh. I'm I might make another go yeah. at it. Let's do it. We should do it together. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so um, tatting and lace making. Of course, there's other types of lace making too. Making broomstick lace, mm-hmm. um, Battenberg lace. I mean, all kinds of different little techniques to make that very fine, delicate fabric that's the hallmark of refinement, right? Yeah. And and they're so, they, it's all built on that foundation of creating loops of mm-hmm. yarn that you're you're pulling through so there's mm-hmm. these are all just different ways of looping mm-hmm. fiber together and some of them are more for like embellishment and mm-hmm. others are better for making actual for background fabric, fabric. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so i mean i guess yeah. you'd say probably lace is just as much whole as it is fabric mm-hmm. right so it's yeah. sort of that art of putting holes in your fabric in a decorative way yeah right that's oh, how yeah. i think about it when i do yep. knitting right i yeah. mean so yeah. That's lace making. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a separate type of fabric making called lacing, which mm-hmm. is not lace, even though the name sounds that way. It's actually kind of like, do you remember rag rugs? Yeah. In yeah. the 80s, yes. that hook to make rag rugs <laughs> yeah. with that plastic frame. Yep. <laughs> so it's this type of fabric making uses a backing and a tool mm-hmm. to draw to pull it through. So you're lacing it fabric I think it's through. called lacing because you're lacing it through. Yeah. Essentially. That's yeah. where the name comes from. Mm-hmm. But you pull it through and you're creating a fabric that has a a nap to it. Mm-hmm. So like it gosh, how do you describe nap? It's like loose ends of fabric. Yeah, yeah. So kind it's of things like up. velvet, carpets have it, tapestries, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, that's another another fabric. Mm-hmm. So those are sort of the main categories, mm-hmm. really, um, that we wanted to go over before we return to knitting. And then the next episode, mm-hmm. we'll be going over knitting from the beginning. Yeah, because it sort of did this transition from being sort of an, a necessary skill to more of a hobby craft these days. So we're going to, in the next episode, we're going to go through that transition. Thanks for joining us today on Historical Yarns. for listening you can find me on Ravelry and on all the socials as Rachel Unraveled and you can find Heather on Ravelry as HeatherBoyd84 be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you found it and we'll see you next time happy knitting this show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective this has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.